Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, what's up? It's Devin, and this is your final reminder about our Vallejo meetup happening this Friday, February 7th at the Mare Island Tap Room. It's located inside the Ferry Building in Vallejo. We'll be hanging out after work from about 5 to 7 p.m. So come on by and say hi, grab some stickers. Eh? It's going to be fun. All right, here's the show. Sherry Wang was on her way to Las Vegas last weekend to celebrate Lunar New Year. She says a lot of Chinese people like her go to Vegas during this holiday season. As I was getting ready to board the plane, I thought about pulling out my face mask, and I had to think about multiple things at once. Sherry's husband bought her a face mask because she's been traveling a lot lately. But she also thought about whether putting on this mask would make people think she was sick. And not just with any illness, but specifically the one that's been in all of the headlines lately. The coronavirus. Ultimately, I put that mask back and I I didn't put it on. There are a lot of mixed emotions that people like Sherry are feeling right now. Fear of getting sick, but also fear of the xenophobia that's been going around too. So today, we want to talk about how racism found its way again into our response to an outbreak. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to The Bay. How did you first start to hear about the coronavirus? I think it must have just been online or I said, you know, I saw something and it, it automatically just made me nervous. Sherry Wang is an assistant professor in counseling psychology at Santa Clara University. I just knew that it would turn into this, um, this frenzy and that race would, would certainly be a part of the, the equation. I didn't know how quickly that would happen. I think with social media, that certainly has happened way quicker than, for example, SARS has. But it was, it was really just looking online. And how did you know it was going to turn into that? I mean, I think with history, we've seen how infectious diseases have been racialized. And uh, to some degree, it's going to be kind of a, um, a fear response, maybe even a fight or flight kind of response from people in, in terms of thinking about survival. I don't want to get sick, where people are going to do everything they can to protect themselves. And that's going to be uh, conscious or unconscious, going to be based on how people judge a person's experience and determine, are you safe? Are you not safe? I saw exactly that script and I saw it uh, unfold so much faster and so much more viciously uh, than I had expected it would. It's hard to put a number on instances of racism against Chinese people related to the coronavirus, but it's not hard to find stories about these instances. You may have read about some of them already, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. In France, for example, the hashtag I am not a virus is being used 
to share stories of bullying in schoolyards and city streets and of hostile treatment by the media. A regional newspaper has had to apologize for this headline that used the phrase yellow alert. Many of those reports are being shared online with discrimination experienced in hospitals, schools and on public yeah, What we're going to do is isolate the virus, not Chinese. When you think about the xenophobia you've seen in response to this coronavirus outbreak and, and how we've seen it before, what recent examples come to mind? The SARS outbreak, that triggered a lot of China-blaming attitudes and perceptions. It was in our national newspapers. Um, the bird flu also perpetuated anti-Asian messages um, and, and, and then just prejudiced attitudes that led to outright discrimination. With the swine flu, uh, we fueled anti-immigrant racism, especially toward Mexican-Americans, Mexicans, and immigrants. So you see where that racism and anti-immigrant sentiment, xenophobia, come together. The, the reason I even was sensitive to when the first, you know, um, news of coronavirus came out, right, even with the first case, that automatically made me think about SARS. And that automatically made me think about how even if I had a mask, I would not put it on. I, I mean, out of the fear um, of the kind of the social consequences of that. Because, so because that, you remember what happened in 2003. I do remember what happened. Yep. And I, 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 I still feel it in this way. Um, I still feel it this way. And I will, I think, for the rest of my life, too. If ever there was a disease that originates from an Asian country, I'm going to be hypervigilant um, for, for myself and for the people that look like me. Recently, the provost at Santa Clara University sent an email to faculty to acknowledge the trend of anti-Asian racism in response to fears about the coronavirus. Sherry says that she did appreciate that email, and she decided to write a response to her colleagues. In it, she gives some of the historical context that you just heard about. And she wanted the faculty to understand just how widespread this is. I wanted to respond and to really highlight that this is an issue that's not specific um, to only what kind of outsiders do to Chinese people, um, but that even I, as a Chinese-American member of our campus community, of our local community, of our country, and at this universal level too, right, we're seeing this nationwide that I am not immune from this worldwide xenophobic, anti-immigrant, racist sentiments that's emerging from the coronavirus. And so it's really important for us to think about this historical legacy of, of how we racialize infectious diseases. And so I really wanted to highlight that this is not the first time um, that this has happened with a lot of infectious diseases throughout our history. And that it's important to name race as part of it um, because I think when we don't name it, then we are complicit in perpetuating these assumptions and stereotypes that actually have a lot of far-reaching consequences beyond um, the disease in and of itself. In some ways, we are inadvertently complicit in perpetuating um, racism and xenophobia, even if we don't mean to, but that our initial response of self-protection and of not knowing what to do and, and this fear, um, while it's warranted and legitimate, that it is our reaction to these fears that's going to actually continue to maybe exclude, ostracize, and discriminate against people that we are actually deciding belong with us or don't belong with us. And that kind of decision is race-based, based on this larger system of oppression, of racism. Because if you think about it, we call these diseases and we um, group them and we racially profile people on these diseases, but we, we don't do it with um, 
white um, experiences or medical issues. And so I want to validate everybody, including myself, right, that our fears are warranted, they're legitimate, and yet our reaction to these fears, that's something for us to need to check into. So you're on a college campus where I feel like people are expected to address cultural issues head on. Do you think there's something different about being on a college campus and having this conversation versus other places? I do. I think I'm very privileged, actually. It's a privilege for me to be in an institution of higher education where I can be more protected. Um, I mean, that that's also a class issue, too, right? I, I'm not taking uh, public transportation daily. I'm not working in a setting where, for example, I'm serving Chinese food or Asian food or right. food where people may be right, making um, really overt and racist remarks to me. And so I think it's much more covert, actually, at the higher institutional level. And so it is um, harder sometimes to detect and yet can be easier to talk about uh, because no one, no one enters academia or um, joins the field of education to do harm. <laughs> and so I think we all have good intentions, but, you know, intention and impact are different things. So who are you worried about this affecting the most? I think about a younger generation a lot, actually. I think about children in schools where they're experiencing bullying. Um, and I think about, yeah, our, our youth, our, our college students, too, um, who are receiving these messages and who maybe don't know the historical context of diseases like SARS, um, of MERS, of Ebola, of Zika, and think that this is really just, it's an outsider thing, right? Diseases come from the outside, from foreigners. And so it creates this um, kind of a, a force field or this separation of us versus them. Hmm. And that gets perpe perpetuated, you know, generation yeah. after generation, where we don't question and we don't think about these things. I also think of like, I mean, on a more practical level, health-wise, like elderly people or and just people who might not be having these conversations who live, for example, in Chinatown or in, in heavily Asian populations where now people may look at them differently. Absolutely. And I think that was the other piece in writing my email. I actually started my email, um, I think, quite vulnerably, actually. I, I wrote my email saying, hi, everyone, as a Chinese-American member of our community, um, I, I'm realizing, you know, that we are not immune. I am not immune from worldwide xenophobia and race, racism because this happens within our communities, too. So Asian people, amongst Asian people, Chinese people, within Chinese people are saying, "Ooh, I don't want to go near you or let's not travel there. Um, and so this and this is the, the issue with racism, right? This is the issue with any kind of institutionalized systemic form of oppression is that we are all victims and perpetrators of it. We internalize it. We believe in it. It becomes our assumption of the norm. And so even amongst Asians, even amongst Chinese people, we're going to discriminate each other yeah. and think that that's just how it should be. Well, I also think that manifested itself in the UC Berkeley Health Department's Instagram post that listed all these normal kind of reactions to the coronavirus and one was xenophobia. Yeah, and that to me, that is an example of a microaggression where it, the intention might have been good, right? Good intent, uh, but very bad impact. Yeah. Um, and so thinking about then too, when are we 
unintentionally microaggressing and when is it explicit racism? I think we really need to delineate that so that we know then how to address having these conversations because uh, the way you get at these conversations would be very different based on um, the nature of them. Part of what we're doing today is, is validating that people um, are fearful right now and that that's okay. Right? The last thing I want to do is be like, don't be afraid of a disease. But it's, it's one thing to quarantine a disease and to ask for and to want to quarantine a disease. But I think it's a different thing to say, let's quarantine people based on the assumption that we are making of whether or not we deem them um, to have the disease or not. And I, I think that's a major distinction that I, I hope we have more information about that's better disseminated and that we can talk about more so that we give people real strategies of, well, what do I do when I'm scared? Um, because that, that's not something we learn in schools. That's not something that we are ever um, taught. We, we just kind of instinctually, we think we insti instinctually learn it, but, but there's a lot of socialization that um, is part of how we learn to defend and protect ourselves. We can be united together in our fear against a common disease, or we can all turn on each other. And, and even after turning on each other, it still doesn't make the fear go away. Right. And so we'll have to live with knowing that our true character is what it is when we're facing the unknown. Sherry says the racism around the coronavirus has also got her thinking a lot about Black Lives Matter. It's a parallel that she says is about taking a moment to slow down when we feel afraid of people who don't look like us and think about where that's coming from. Because, she says, it can be a matter of life and death. In times of fear, where people may feel like their lives are threatened, uh, if you have power in those situations, if you have more authority in that situation, your action can be lethal um, against those who you deem to be threatening, even if they may not be. Sherry Wang is an assistant professor in counseling psychology at Santa Clara University. For more stories and information on the coronavirus, check out the link in our show notes. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and editor Alan Montecilio. KQED's leadership team includes Julie Kane, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. Hope to see you at our meetup this Friday in Vallejo. And if not, talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.com. 
org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.